We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. What is up, everybody? It is Rob from the Striking Gold Podcast on the Blue Wire Network. In case you haven't heard, Blue Wire Studios just dropped their first original podcast, Golden Goal. This show gives you 10-minute episodes all about soccer legends and the moments that made them. Whether you're just learning about soccer for the first time or you're a diehard fan, this podcast is a great listen for everybody. The final two episodes are live right now. Or you can jump on there and binge the entire season to learn about your favorite soccer stars. Check out Blue Wire's Golden Goal, available anywhere you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Like I said earlier, this is Rob, and you're on the Striking Gold Podcast on the Blue Wire Network. This week's episode is sponsored by BetOnline.ag. I cover the 49ers, and then joining me tonight is my co-host, Former NFL defensive back, Eric Crocker. What's going on, bro? What's up? What's up, man? I just I just got done watching the the versus uh battle between DMX and Snoop Dogg. And you know, I'm a West Coast guy, so you know I was pulling for Snoop, but I big, big DMX fan. Um, me and my brother, I remember when I was like in middle school, we used to ride the bus to Tower Records to go get DMX's albums, like the moment they dropped. Like as soon as that day was dropping. We were getting on the bus to go get it. So um, a lot of love for DMX. And ah, it was just a dope, dope, dope display of of music. Like two just great musicians, two legends, man. It was it was cool. And I know you didn't watch it. You didn't know much about it, but um it was it was cool, man. So I'm yeah, still I mean, I'm still were, on cloud nine yeah. right now. <laughs> you were explaining it to me and it seems like a cool concept, like but it, the the interesting part that you were there you're explaining to me that I that I kind of related to was how there's a little because you said it's almost like rounds right where where every, for every round it's like you, Snoop's song versus DMX's song and which one's kind of like better or considered better. Correct. Okay, so you got to be kind of strategic about what song you play and when because obviously one you don't want to play one of your really good songs and they play like their best song and you lose that song. You know, you want to like try, I, like you said, you you didn't know for sure if they kept score or they had a round score or something, but 
seems like kind of interesting that there's like a little bit of strategy to it. Yeah. Everybody kind of keeps their own little scores. Um, there were a couple early on that I thought were draws and I was like, dang, like, I don't know if he should have used that one just yet, but um, nah, it was, it was cool. And then I guess this is kind of a good night for music. J. Cole just dropped a few songs. So um, I'll probably listen to that as soon as we get off of the, the podcast, but uh, you just put it on right now, man. We'll play it in the background while we're while we're doing our thing. I'm sure we. Can <laughs> oh no, we're good. We're good. We're good. Um, yeah, man. I haven't I haven't listened to nearly as much rap lately as I, as I should. I've been listening to music. Like to me, my big the time I listen to music is when I drive. Like I think that's probably the case for everybody. But that's like when I when majority ninety nine percent of the music I listen to is when my drive when I'm driving. I'm a big music guy. Obviously, my kind of my passion for music revolves around rock and stuff, but like the fact that I don't drive very much anymore because we're supposed to, for the most part, stay home as much as we can. And being a teacher, I'm on summer break. And even before that, we didn't have school because of COVID. So like, I haven't been listening to nearly as much music as, as I usually do. So I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm like losing a part of myself, but no, obviously I, I can listen podcasts. to music when I'm, when I'm around my, my house, but I just don't. But, yeah, no. but you listen to podcasts on your your, your to and from? Yeah, I, I listen to more podcasts now. Um, well, now that I'm in Arkansas, like it takes me five minutes to get everywhere. So, <laughs> you know, I don't. <laughs> How many can you count the number of stoplights or something? Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's like two. There's literally two stop stoplights on my way to work. So, I saw um, that video you posted. I can't remember if it was on Twitter of you and your boy mobbing on a quad or something. I can't. I can't remember. What was oh, the context yeah. behind that? What were you guys doing? Oh, so we were, um, so these people I work with, they're like, oh, you know, do you want to come to the farm? I'm like, the farm? And she was like, yeah, like my husband, you know, they're farmer. Like her husband's a farmer. I think this is the beginning of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was thinking something like that, but you know, <laughs> I had to make sure I had my pistol with me at all times. But um, There you go. So, so uh, I'm just joking. Like they're really great people. Uh, no, no, he's not so, joking. So, <laughs> so my son, she was like, you know, you want to bring them to the farm and see alligators. Now there's like, um, on this farm, they, they, they farm. I mean, they have all type of stuff, corn, soybeans, like, you know, rice, like all type of, you know, those things. It's like 200 acres or something like that. Something crazy or 200,000 acres. It, it was like something really crazy. And, um, so she took us to, to see the, uh, the alligators and stuff. And when I say alligators, like this is not a farm. I mean, this is not a, like a zoo. There's, there's like bodies of water on the, on the farming land. And there's right. just, there's alligators in there, like 13 feet long alligators. Um, Damn. Yeah. And it's not like you're like protected or anything. Like if it just happens to run up like out the water, it's going to get you. So, um, yeah, so, uh, we saw some alligators and stuff like that was awesome for my son. You know, we're California dudes, man. We don't do stuff like this really, you know? So, um, right. Um, so we saw the alligators and everything that was great. And then we hopped on the four wheeler. This is my first time ever riding a four wheeler. And I guess in the country or especially like here in Arkansas, they start riding four wheelers at like four or five years old. So, um, and then she tells her son like, Oh, ride the car. Like I'm gonna show Eric how to. She was like, drive the car and I'm going to show Eric how to, you know, ride the four-wheeler. And her son is like 12 years old and she lets him like drive on the land. So it's just a different, you know, way of living, obviously, yeah. like than in the city. But uh, yeah, me and my son, we hopped, uh, hopped on the four-wheeler and, you know, we let, we opened up going about 35 to 40 miles an hour. Uh, it was cool, man. Just a whole bunch of open land, just just mobbing, man, in the, in the four-wheeler. That was that was cool. That was the first for me, and you know, obviously, that was the first for my son. So that was that was cool, man. I'm, just, I'm out here, man. Country, country crock out here. In, <laughs> Dude, out here isn't in that the name of a butter? Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's yeah. legit, man. And that and that reminds me of, of my childhood too, because I I grew up in Central Valley, uh, in Fresno. It's actually I actually grew up in Clovis, which is a, a suburb of Fresno, but it's all in Fresno County. You wouldn't like know when you went from Fresno to Clovis type of deal. They all kind of together. But like my family, we lived on three acres and my uncle lived next door and he lived on three acres. But since it was my uncle, they just tore down the fence between the two properties. So we had like, you know, pretty close to like six acres, which is a lot of land 
when you, you know, for the fact that we were essentially in a city, we were just kind of on the, the outskirts of it. And my dad is, is, he's always been very, very into race cars since he was young. So when we first bought the house that, that I grew up in, I was five years old and he, the first thing he did, he's, he made a racetrack on the, in the backyard because it was, the house is big enough to have a legit dirt racetrack. And what's funny is we have, have you seen people that have those pictures where like a helicopter takes a picture of their house from like above? Yes. I don't know. if you, Yeah. Well, we had one of those right when we got there and it's just this house and then like two and a half acres of, there's a little bit of grass in front of the house. And then it's just like two and a half acres of dirt. And then there's another picture taken like 20 years later where there's just grass and trees everywhere. Cause my dad did all this landscaping himself. He's just one of those guys. And there's just, there's trees, there's grass everywhere. There's trees, there's hills, there's, you know, we got a pool put in. And, but what's funny is the only thing that's the same from the first picture to the second picture was the go-kart track. That was like (laughs) the very first thing out of all the things he ended up doing to this house to just make it way cooler. uh, The go-kart track was the first thing. It was just this flat piece of land, dirt with a go-kart track in the backyard. No, not even any real grass, no backyard, no legit landscaping, just dirt and then a go-kart track. And so my childhood was a lot like what you're describing. Like everything that had a motor, we would ride and we would crash. I had a riding lawnmower because the place was so big and there was so much grass. I crashed that too. I mean, we would anything with a motor, we would ride around that place. We I've had like five mini bike mini bikes, little motorcycles, and I would crash those. And and one time I got a hold of a moped that was like street legal, like nice that you could ride on the road. It has blinkers and everything. I crashed that too. I I I, I hit a we had like we had like these little hills in the front yard and I would use them as ramps and I and I hit this ramp on the moped moped and I got way too much air. Landed on the ground. It it kicked me off the bike, and the bike went straight into the side of the house. <laughs> Luckily, it it didn't wow. damage the house. But so I'm all about that four wheeler life, dude. And nothing really lasted very long because we would just break everything. Um, but we had like five go karts at the house. Friends would come over, and we'd race. And you know, it was it was always a good time. That was that was my childhood. Pretty much finding new ways to get hurt all the time was was my deal. But so, anyways, I guess we should talk about football, huh? Oh, uh, yeah. I guess I guess we can do that. <laughs> I guess we. Hopefully, when you're if you're listening, you don't mind, and you're not like just sitting there going, you know, looking at your clock, wondering when we're going to start. Or I guess even worse, you've just stopped listening because we're just talking here. But um, I guess the biggest and most recent news is all of the kind of the the new rules, regulations, guidelines, precautions that are all coming out as far as how the NFL is going to handle the start of the season, which is obviously, as, as anybody listening knows, nothing about it is going to be normal. Um, it's just everybody's just trying to adapt to COVID-19 and all the challenges it's facing. And, you know, everybody's kind of watching the NBA who's just started to have, you know, who's just starting to kind of pick up steam. And then you have the baseball that just started their exhibition games and, you know, so NFL's kind of just as much as they seem like they're still struggling with their own details. NFL had the luxury of of being pretty much, you know, in the offseason while all this was happening. So they're, you know, despite the fact that they had a lot of time, they're kind of hastily trying to what seems hastily trying to roll out all these guidelines to get people in the building. And essentially what it's going to look like for the 49ers is they're. Rookies, quarterbacks, and injured players are actually reporting tomorrow. That's they're they're reporting tomorrow, and this is actually a little bit of well, I take that back. Normally, there would be a little bit of a break before training camp. They'd have like the off-season programs and the OTAs, and then there would be a little bit of a time off, and then they'd come back for training camp. Um, but all of the off-season program was was canceled, so they're just now reporting. Which normally this would could be considered an early report. For port date for training camp, but since there was no off season, then it's kind of just starting now because there's all this stuff they're going to have to do before real training camp can even start. And the first thing they're going to have to do when they get there tomorrow is they're going to have to take a, they're going to have to get tested for COVID-19 and then they're going to have to go through two days of isolation where they're literally just chilling at home. You are not allowed to go anywhere period or interact with anyone because what they're trying to do is they're trying to make sure that those results that they get from the first test 
um, are accurate. And then they're going to take another test two days later. And then if they pass both of those tests, then they're going to be able to step inside the building and start undergoing um, whatever what they're there for. And then the rest of the team is going to report Tuesday, I believe. Could be Thursday. Could be in a week. I'm not sure, but I can't. Re- I think it's Tuesday. But uh, And they're going to go through the same process. And then once everybody has passed those, those two-day little screening periods, then there's two weeks of solid testing of every of daily testing to make sure and what they're trying to do is they're make sure, trying to make sure that nobody at these practices finds a way to contract the virus and then immediately spread it to everybody else that's why they're testing so frequently now the only part that kind of raises an eyebrow is i myself got tested this morning for the coronavirus and and, and I, you know, I, I had to, to, to create, to get tested for that. I had to make an appointment, which was about a week out. And then now I have to wake, wait a week to get the results. And, you know, obviously during this time, I'm going to make sure I'm not around people. Um, but you know, we essentially your common man has to wait 14 days to get for, to get an appointment and get your results. And maybe it's slower for some people, maybe it's faster for others. And then, the NFL, you know, they're cranking out these tests and that's kind of been a common criticism for sports is the NBA is they've been able to get to, to have these tests and get the results back almost instantly. But you know, the reason, part of the reason the United States might be struggling so bad with this virus is the fact that people don't even know they have to wait to get tested and then they have to wait to get the results. And and so that's been an interesting, but um, to be brutally honest about a week and a half ago, I got like, I started getting like body aches. I was like, uh-oh, started getting like body aches. And then I ran like a very, very, very slight temperature. And I was like, uh-oh. And then that went away really quick. It only stuck around for like a like a day and a half, two days. And I was like, okay, maybe it was just, because obviously in case anybody knows this, you can still get regular sick right now. Not everything is the coronavirus. <laughs> like you can still get sick for other reasons. So I was like, okay, maybe it was just whatever. And then and this is the interesting part, Croc, is and then like five days ago, I lost my taste and smell, I, which is the weirdest experience of my life. Like, And they say that's one of the biggest in- indicators of having COVID-19 is you lose your sense of taste and smell, whatever the virus does. And I, so once that time, I'm, once that happened, I was like, OK, I'm going to get an appointment. I'll get tested. I've been keeping, I've been isolating myself all this time anyways, but dude, I cannot describe to you guys how frustrating it is to know that you are eating really good food and you can't taste shit. Like (laughs) everything, like this Pepsi I have next to me, I can't taste it. It's just carbonation. I can't taste bacon. I can't smell bacon being cooked. Like everything is just what I feel like right now. It's been this way for about five days right now. It's slow. I feel like it might be slowly coming back. I thought I could smell the food being cooked today and I feel like I can barely taste this Pepsi. Like it's more than it was, but so I haven't gotten my results back. I won't know for five days, like five, six days, but for about, for about five days, I've had no taste and no smell. Like this evening I ate shrimp and grits. And one of the most, one of my favorite meals, one of the, it has so much flavor and it's so good. I don't know. Are you a big grits guy, Crocker? Yeah, but I eat grits with like butter and sugar. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Okay. I've had it that way too. Cause, um, but this was shrimp and grits and it's got butter and stuff, not sugary, but it's all buttery and, and it's seasoned and with shrimp and I can't taste a thing. Well, I mean, I'm not like exaggerating either. Zero. Like you can taste nothing. You just, I could literally eat whatever for lunch, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because I can't taste it anyways. This morning I had like a flavor of oatmeal that I didn't even, I would never eat, but I only ate it now because I know I can't taste it. (laughs) So it's been weird, but so anyways, that's my little coronavirus experience. I don't know for sure if that's what, what, if, if I'm, if I have it, but uh, it seems like the the whole taste and smell thing is a pretty dead giveaway, but we'll see. But if if you're wondering, it hasn't necessarily been an excruciating experience outside of that whole deal. But 
Yeah. And what so, you were discussing was how hard it is for you to get tested and how long it took and the process of it. Right, right. So the NBA, NFL, which they're pretty much getting tested on the spot and getting results back immediately. Right, immediately. So obviously they have a very, uh, you know, they've probably paid a lot of money for it. I think it was like upwards of like $75 million, I think I just read today about what the NFL is spending to implement this testing. So obviously they've got a whole different system than what is being implemented through public health care. Whether that's unfair or not, different topic. But um, so they're obviously having to implement this huge system just to ensure that everybody that gets in that building is clean. And so now they can, because what they don't want is this, a snowball of, especially, you know, with all the measures they're going to take, I know they've taken the, the tables and chairs out of the cafeteria and they've added like arrows to the floors within the 49ers facility and they've started to spread things out. But what they don't want, obviously, is a snowball of this virus taking over. And then you have valuable players, players that are getting paid a lot of money that have a big impact, missing at least 14 days. And then, you know, then you have a whole host of testing that has to get done. And then they have to figure out, you know, if it made it to anybody else. And, and so there's it's a very, very it's like it's it's a glass house and there's a lot of rocks being thrown around. And so they got to be careful with how this goes. So and then so then they have those 14 days of nonstop testing. And then after that, there's this huge ramp up period where essentially, since all the offseason programs have been canceled, the NFL is trying to ensure that a bunch of players don't get hurt trying to get back into doing football activities. Most of these players have been doing their own thing and training. You see the videos all the time. And of course, if they don't post those videos, then they're not training. That's how real life works. But so you have they have to provide this ramp up period that way they don't they aren't met with a slew of injuries back in 2011 when there was the holdout there was you know quite a bit of players got injured because they didn't uh get the normal ramp up time that they normally did so then they're going to do that and by the time all of this is done the team is not going to be during this whole time there will be no regular practices there will be like conditioning and meetings and then You've done all of this and you haven't even really started training camp yet. And it looks like legitimate training camp practices, non-padded, aren't even going to be started until sometime towards like, like almost near mid-August. And then you have to have a legit training camp. And then you have the season come September. There's no preseason, if you didn't know that. There's no preseason. So it's just weird, man. It's weird. Now, you can speak to this a little bit more than I can, Crocker, but another casualty of the the adapting for the COVID-19 stuff is they, they're expected to go with 80 man rosters instead of 90 man rosters. Um, so give me your take on that and what kind of impact that has on guys who are, who are looking for that miracle. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's really brutal for, you know, bottom of the roster guys um, to, to, to go from, well, first of all, I mean, obviously, there's no, you know, it looks like there'll be no preseason, but cutting the roster down from 90 to 80, there are, you know, basically 10 guys per team that this probably will be their only chance ever to make an NFL roster. And they didn't even get a chance to step inside the facility. They signed their contracts. They've been waiting it out. You know, they were supposed to report months ago to rookie minicamp and then OTAs and all that. And uh, they won't, they were kind of, I don't want to say robbed, but they were kind of robbed of that opportunity. And they'll never step foot in an NFL facility. And that alone sucks. Um, And then from there, I mean, just going from, you know, 90, uh, I mean, uh, no preseasons, preseason games, Guys won't even have an opportunity to showcase their ability, you know, bottom of the roster guys. I mean, you have obviously you have practice, but you know, like real live reps, because remember, I mean, you're not tackling in training camp. So how many live reps would a guys really get? Uh will you have the opportunity to really kind of, you know, go above and beyond to kind of showcase, you know, your playmaking ability. You know, obviously there'll be a guy here and there, but I think you'll see far more veterans make rosters this year um, compared to, you know, like undrafted guys who typically every team has undrafted guys that make the roster. But um, I think you'll see far less of that. 
and more veterans, which usually teams go with the veterans because, I mean, the teams release the veterans because, you know, if it, once you keep a veteran on your on your roster after like cutdowns, their contract is guaranteed for the entire year. So most teams, that's why you see like Jordan Matthews get released last year um, because you can bring him back, and if you bring him back, then his contract's not guaranteed for the whole year. But once you once you keep them from the start, their contract's guaranteed for the entire year, and they try to avoid that and try to go with younger guys. And I think. Just a lot of younger guys would be kind of robbed of that opportunity right now. So it's tough, man. It's tough all the way around. And I, I really feel bad for a lot of guys. I mean, I mean, really, this whole thing started with guys missing their pro days and not getting the chance to showcase their talents in front of scouts. You know, a lot of small school guys or guys that just simply weren't invited to the the combine. You know, they they it is just terrible. <laughs> terrible year to be a guy that's not like, you know, quote unquote, like a big name guy or, you know, a highly solid. Well, and it's the, the, the part that's even harder too, is there's the 49ers have 90 guys on their roster right now. So there's going to be 10 guys. Not all of them are going to be rookies or first years, but there's going to be 10 guys that were celebrating being signed to an NFL roster that before they even get to step on the field for the 49ers are going to get that phone call. You know, and a lot of these guys have probably been given a digital playbook and, you know, they've been asked to start learning this stuff and they're going to have to give all that back and having never got the chance to do anything with the organization. And, you know, what, what there's, there's kind of a, a miscon, I wouldn't say it's a misconception. It's, there's a little too much stock having been at training camps for several years in a row that there's a bit too much stock placed in preseason. Because when preseason was officially canceled, I saw a lot of posts saying, oh, man, there's so many fringe roster guys that are that don't get their chance now. And it's not even that. Like most, the, most of these coaches have their minds made up of who's going to make the roster. There might be a couple spots that get decided by some preseason action or somebody surprises. But training camp is is where a lot of these guys make their money, and and coaches get an intimate, in person, rip and, and and repetitious look at what these guys can offer, and what they can do, and some of these guys won't even get that. And and but what preseason does do for these roster guys is, let's say you were a fringe roster guy, you almost made it, but you got cut, and maybe you put some things on tape during preseason. Well, other NFL teams can see that. The 49ers have the benefit of watching you every day in practice. Excuse me, and they can see what you're doing. That then that can inform their decision. But as far as other teams go, they have no idea what's going on in practice. You're not allowed to see other the teams' practices. So other teams, you know, players that get picked up by other teams after you're cut by your initial team, uh, they they don't have any way of seeing what what you did anymore with the cancellation of preseason. So that kind of you know that that damages. So you, there's so many different things working against these guys right now. The, the roster is going to get cut to 90 players. So 10 guys are cut automatically. Maybe some of them will get picked up because they were pretty high on on other teams' undrafted free agent board, but they went to the 49ers and now they're they're free again. And a, another team can sign them and swap them out with somebody else. You know, but every team's got to be looking at their own roster right now, saying, "Okay, what ten guys do we got to cut here before we've even seen them play?" And it's it's just going to be such a brutal process all the way around. And like I, I, you know, you just can't help but feel for these guys that that had this this such a small little minuscule taste of their dream, and it's just whoop gone. You know what I mean? It's just it is it sucks, dude. It's I feel so bad for them, and it's it's brutal. But that's the way it's going to be, you know, and, and it's, yeah. it just sucks that, you know, so many of these are guys are saying like, man, just my luck that this comes around the moment I get my my one chance, you know, that they probably think they have. And maybe another chance rolls around, but it's just it sucks, you know, and I hopefully everybody listening just, you know, pours one out for these guys who are just are we're, we're so close that it, it almost makes it more brutal. You know, they some of these guys just they sign the contract to be on an NFL team and then boom poof because of COVID and everything they're having to do, they won't even get a chance to, to, to prove it, you know, and it, it sucks. It sucks, but you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. Now we'll keep going. we got some more to talk about. Um, we got some Raheem Mostert news. We want to, I want to talk a little bit about George Kittle some more, uh, but before we do that, we need to get a quick word in from our sponsors. 
Y'all have been here. You know it's all bet online here at Striking Gold. And, and now that sports are coming back, so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week. There's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, the futures, and the props to bet on. They're all available 24-7. On the entertainment side, Floyd Money Mayweather joins the Bet Online team to bring you a brand new segment called The Ice is Right. Floyd talks about all his jewelry and gives you the chance to bet on the cost of his bling to win some great prices. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E. BetOnline is your online wagering experts. (sighs) I guess we can turn towards... Somewhat more uplifting talk topics, but like I said, shout out to all the guys who are who are getting that who are going to be getting that that shitty phone call here, whenever whenever that starts to go into effect. But um, in another news, I guess you could say more positive for the 49ers is it seems things have sort of smoothed over with Raheem Mostert. I mean, like sort of, because I believe it was Ian Rappaport who reported. The other day, that a couple days ago, that Raheem Mostert had been in contact with a, a high-ranking. All you all he says in the tweet was he'd been in contact with a or he spoke to a high-ranking member of the SF, SF organization to clear the air and get on the same page moving forward. Um, and then uh, the his agent was asked about the situation. The agent's the one that broke the news that they were requesting a trade, and he said, hopefully. That'll be the case as far as the situation being worked out. Now, when rap rap sheet says member of a high ranking member of the SF organization, I would think that would either be for this type of deal. I would think that either would either either be John Lynch or, or Kyle Shanahan. You know, like it just wouldn't. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it would make much sense to talk to anybody else about it. But so I guess that's good news. And you know, I don't know, Crocker. What are your thoughts, dude? Yeah, man, with Raheem Mostert, I mean, it sounds, I, you know, I, I've seen like little headlines about it or whatnot, but it sounds like he kind of reneged the, like, requesting a trade. I don't really want to speak on it too much because I haven't really looked into it. Like, I haven't clicked on any of the articles that I saw about it, but, you know, it, it did look like maybe things are kind of getting better between him and the 49ers. Uh, you know, I guess, or at least he's trying to smooth it over or maybe things were worded wrong, <laughs> you know, but I, I don't want to get too much into it because I didn't really click. I just saw kind of like headlines about it. Right. And that, that's all it really was. There wasn't anything more than like the tweet and then the headlines that followed. And, but it, to me, it was good to hear because like I said, last time we talked about it, obviously I had to explore both sides of, of the topic and, and talk about kind of like, you know, why I could see why Raheem was doing this and why I could see why it wasn't a good move and why it wasn't, you know, basically the goods and the bads of the scenario because Raheem and, and, and all his talents has every right to seek, you know, um, compensation, appropriate compensation for that. And it just, you know, to me it was, he has such a great story that, you know, how many teams dropped him and then he finally lands with, with the 49ers and he, you know, the 49ers stick with him. He's one of the few people that are still on the roster from the Trent Balky days. And, and, you know, I, w- I want his story to have a, a, a good ending, you know, and, and not that it, it wouldn't, even if he got traded, but to me, I, you know, I wanted to see him, his career come full circle with the 49ers. And I just felt like the trade request was, I don't know, like maybe what's the best way to put it, jump in the gun. Like I, I, the whole time I felt like maybe it wasn't the best advice from his agent, you know, like, because it just, I felt like Raheem was being put into a a shitty spot. Like, you know, he had just signed this new contract. Now those numbers were kind of based more on the fact that he was one of the league's best special teams players. And I get that. And then, and and then, you know, just a year later after he's, you know, Raheem has that great, you know, about a half a season, amazing postseason. And then he's, they're already like, you know, like if you don't pay us now, then we want to go elsewhere. And I'm not necessarily pointing that at 
Raheem as much as I am his agent. Like, like, dude, you just negotiated this him contract, this contract a year ago. And obviously things have changed a little bit, but to already be to the point where if he doesn't, if they don't change that contract, we're going to seek a trade. It just seemed like, whoa, like it seemed fast, if that makes sense. So, you know, and obviously considering the bad timing of that, but I'm hoping that, that I don't know how straightened out. it was though. because it sounded like the agent was saying, you know, they, these contract, you know, talks or whatever have gone on since like, I think he said like five months or, or yeah, you know, so it's, it's, it's been a while where, cause I know some people are like, well, they, they should have just tried to figure out. I think they have been trying to figure it out. <laughs> and that's kind of, been well, no, I mean, like when I say, when I say like fast, I mean like, like he just got a new contract at the beginning of last season, you know, and, and, but a lot of things change. And obviously he took on a lot of the, the running back duties and, you know, Raheem's camp saw that they traded Matt Breida, which to them probably indicated even more that they had bigger plans for Raheem. And so, you know, there were so many different angles to come at it. And, but it's just, I, I, you know, I was hoping that I want to see him work it out with the 49ers, obviously hoping that the 49ers can do a little bit of work on their end because, um, you know, Raheem doesn't have any guarantees. He's got another kid on the way. He doesn't have any guarantees in his contract. Uh, you know, if something were to happen or for some weird reason, the team feel like they can cut him or any of that. He, has, he just has no guarantees, which is not what you want on in the back of your mind as you try to raise a family and, and do what's best for them. So, you know, no matter what, it's hopefully him kind of, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily sound like it. I mean, it does sound like they might have he might have pulled his trade requests, uh, you know, uh, behind closed doors. And, and, you know, maybe the 49ers said, look, let's keep you in the building. We promise to work with you. Maybe that's what happened. Maybe it didn't happen. But, um, you know, I just I know that Kyle Shanahan's offense is is the bee's knees for running backs. And I want to see Raheem, who I've said is is a friend of mine. I've talked to him many times, you know, on and on Xbox Live and, and on the phone. And I just I want to see the best for him. So and I feel like the 49ers are, are the place to do it. That being said, you, he still has to take care of his, his own priorities and his own, you know, and his family. So we'll see how that works out. But to me, that was a small shred of good news. And the fact that hopefully the 49ers can, can meet him in the middle, wherever that would be. And he can go on eating next year because I feel like this is his year to like put a stamp on it. Like, Hey, like what you saw last year was legit. This is the type of running back that I can be. And then, you know, we'll see where it goes from there. Right. That's kind of, that was just kind of my thoughts on it. But another thing I wanted to talk about real quick, and this will probably be enough to, to guide us to the, to the finish line, but you had a quick, and I don't know if it went on any further. I'm going to, I'm going to go to your Twitter here. One of my favorite places to go on this website, Eric Crocker's Twitter um, (laughs) is you started to have a little bit of a conversation. I don't know if it kept going anymore. I saw it earlier today. It went um, on in my mentions for a while, but I just kind of like stopped talking about it. I mean, I, I I definitely had a few, you know, uh, exchanges in there. And then I just kind of like stopped. Right, about. right. And I don't, I know exactly I stopped, what you mean when I you say that. Other people still, but uh, for those of you that don't know, Crocker found his way onto Kansas City Chiefs Twitter <laughs> this morning or or yesterday evening or whichever one it was, um, and and chipped into the topic of Travis Kelsey versus George Kittle. So so take me through what what you know what went what transpired and what was going on and what prompted you to like jump in. Yeah, so so my guy Matt Lane, um, he covers the uh, he he covers the Chiefs for um, Arrowhead. What is it? It's a uh, um, Arrowhead Pride, so it, it's a big uh, publication, and uh, he was just—I—I I don't know if he was responding to someone. I know his tweet that I responded to. He wasn't responding. It was just a tweet, and it was like basically he can't see how anybody has Kittle as tight end one, and that basically he—the way I read it was that. Kittle isn't really a good receiver. That he is tremendous, like after the catch, and he's a really good blocker, and he gets schemed open. 
that was kind of the basis of his argument, I guess. Now, me, I I never even in this, which I don't even think I said it to him, but I in this, I never said George Kittle is better than Kelsey or Kelsey is better than George Kittle. All I said was, if you think that 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 George Kittle can't win consistently as more of a possession or vertical threat, then you you have to watch more George Kittle. So I you know I didn't even say like, oh you're wrong, George Kittle's better or you know I just you know I think people they put these stereotypes on guys and I think they do it for Kittle, uh, Kelsey too, where Kelsey is a good like pass protector and run blocker like he's good at it. Now maybe he's not as good as Kittle, but he is good at it. Um, but I think there's these there's a stereotype with Kittle that and I, I would say if you if you had this conversation with me a year ago, I'd say, yeah, you're you're probably correct. He does need to be, you know, a little bit more refined as a route runner, or you know, can he be that, you know, more can he add that uh possession aspect to his game? And I saw it right away this year. I think I saw it starting off in training camp, saw it in the preseason, and obviously it rolled into the regular season where that was a part of the, his game that he really worked on. And you you could see it pay off that, yeah, now Kittle is more of a possession guy that also can stretch the field uh, or, you know, big run after catch and whatnot. But I, I think other people still have that, in their head is just, or maybe they just see highlights. They see plays like the the Packers game where he's just wide open and he catches a ball and he runs in for an, a touchdown. Um, you know, we've seen him do that several times. I mean, for not as offensive coordinator is or head coach too is Kyle Shanahan. So obviously he's going to scheme this big guy open, but there are plenty of times. And I sent a, a couple of, a couple of um, uh, examples where you clearly see George Kittle just destroying a defensive back in man coverage. I mean, you know, the the Buda Baker play where he just killed him on the slant route, caught it, threw him off of him, threw him again, <laughs> dove him for the touchdown. I, I showed a couple of plays from the Seahawks game where he's destroying uh, their best cornerback, excuse me, in Griffin with routes. Like, this is not scheme. And I think it's kind of... I think Kittle's big playability overshadows how refined he is in other parts of his game. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going on and on right now, but I, I wasn't saying – I never once said Kittle is better. I was just shooting down the fact that he really – and he kept continued it too, saying Kittle's not good in that area. And I think what he really should kind of look into is Kyle Shanahan's doesn't call that same type of offense. And he was like, well, if he was really good at it, why wouldn't Shanahan do it more? It's like, well, 49ers have the second second highest scoring offense in the league, one of the top what, top five offense in the league, like yardage-wise, like they do what they do. Shanahan does what he does, and it works at an extremely high level. They score more points per game than the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, he does what he does, and it's, and it's been very effective. But when they needed uh, Kittle to be more of a possession guy, remember that that game, uh, the Falcons game, he caught, what, 13 passes for like 130-something yards? Like, he, he can be that possession guy as well, if, if need be. They just don't call for it often. So I, I just kind of had to give my two cents on that because I think there's just kind of this narrative both ways. For Kelsey, I think they act like he can't block and he can. And for Kittle... They act like he can't be – he's not like a refined route runner with like the best hands of any tight end. And he it's just, it's just not true. Yeah, and I, I was – I saw the clips you posted too. And what's, what's interesting too to add to that is you and I kind of had these conversations a couple years in a row or maybe at least at least one year. You and I were at training camp. We were saying like if there's one part of Kittle's game that we feel like he can evolve upon, it was like there was still the receiving aspect and more specifically kind of like the contested catch, the, you know, the, the using your frame to go up and get it. And I, and I still think he probably has a lot of work to do that, but right. he definitely showed last year, even the, even though last year obviously wasn't the year that he broke the record, 
it, he still showed an evolution in his game. And, and what is interesting to me, and you don't, a lot of people don't mention it is Kittle was, was not considered a receiving threat when he got drafted. That's not what, not that he couldn't do it. It's just, he was barely, he was really not a part of Iowa's passing game. And he, he had a very modest stat line. And he was just considered a dominant, dominant run blocker. And he had a lot of highlights coming out of Iowa of him just driving guys straight off the camera or straight into the ground. And then in his second year in the NFL, he's breaking the record. You know what I mean? Like, this guy is still evolving. And, you know, like many players are at his age, but he still is evolving when it comes to the type of receiver he is and, and not that they're any real account of a player's skill, but you've seen these workouts he's been going through during the off season. Like he is moving fast. One, he looks shredded Two, he's moving and he's got quick feet and he's running the same types of routes that all these wide receivers are running. And, and it, you know, he's, you can, it's obvious that that is a focus of his, of his game. And so it's, you know, it's just, just realize that however good George Kittle is right now, I, I would be willing to bet, and I am not a betting man, but I would be willing to bet that he gets better and he shows you things that he hasn't even shown you yet. You know what I mean? Like he, it's just, he just was not a big receiving threat coming out of college. And then in his second year, he's among the NFL's best at it. So, you know, just marinate on that for a little bit. The fact that George Kittle could be getting quite a bit better you know, from year to year, at least for, you know, a couple more years. But to me, if you must compare, if you must compare George, the reason people think George Kittle is the best tight end, and that is not a new school of thought. Like uh, if you probably did some type of poll between, let's say NFL execs or maybe scouts, I think George Kittle would probably edge Travis Kelsey as a tight end. Now as a receiver, I think it would be fair to say that Travis Kelsey might have the a, a bit of an edge on Kittle, but it wouldn't be a big one. But then when you look at every other aspect of being a tight end, I feel like George Kittle would be the clear favorite in, in every other aspect. So whereas I think the receiving aspect would be very close, none of the other stuff would. And like you said earlier, I'm not saying that Travis Kelsey can't you know, run block or can't pass block or can't do any of the other functions of a tight end, but they're not going to be anywhere to the great degree of George Kittle. And that to me is where he separates himself. If you're just talking about a receiver, obviously Kittle's no slouch, but maybe you would, you'd be able to make an easier case for Kelsey, uh, you know, having him in the edge and that little, but that's not all a tight end does. And that's not all that you're paid to do. You know, it's all Kelsey's for the most part paid to do, but you, everybody knows that that's not, what all of what makes George Kittle, George Kittle. Like when you think of George Kittle, you're going to think of one, maybe that like 49ers fans right now, maybe the first thing they think about is going to be that catch against the saints where he broke 15 tackles to get the team in field goal range with one guy hanging off his face mask. But then there's the next thing you might think of is him pancaking a dude in the end zone and curled up laughing right into the camera you know, after a play, you know, after, and I believe the 49ers scored on that play. I can't remember, but you know, and this guy just pancaked a, a, a linebacker or a safety. I can't remember who it was. And, and is laughing his ass off in the end zone. Like that's also what you think of when you think of George Kittle. So, you know, it's, they're just two different players, but I feel like as far as complete players, you know, that's that's where George Kittle gets the respect he deserves, you know, and and in a in an offense like Kyle Shanahan's that it demands that of of tight ends, you know, what what better offense to be in for that guy to showcase everything he can do. You know, and if you're not if you if you I'm kind of like contradicting myself, but if you if you feel like he's not a good receiver, then watch that then check out that catch against the Raiders two years ago. The dude is in double coverage. One of the players could have very easily put a hat on him and probably knocked him out if he wanted to, but instead he one hands it and takes it 50 more yards. I don't think he scores on that play. I could be wrong, but he one hands it in, in, a, in a situation where, like I said, he could have had a, he's knocked his brick off, but he one hands the ball and then puts on another 50 yards after the catch in a scenario where I would think a lot of pass catchers would probably uh, alligator arm it and just say, screw this. 
All right. Because they're about to get destroyed. So, you know, it's an interesting conversation. Obviously, nothing but respect for Travis Kelsey. That dude's an absolute animal. But I think there's there's very clear and obvious reasons why George Kittle is considered the best tight end. And you're talking about, you know, if you're looking at Madden ratings, you're looking like a guy that's like a 98 and a guy that's a 97. Like, it's like, we're not talking about huge differences here. But to me, it's clear why one is considered better than the other. You know, but, you know, maybe we're just beating a dead horse here. All right. But anyways, well, I think that, I don't know, we're already getting pretty close to an hour. You think that does it? Yeah. And next episode, we can talk about the receivers. Yeah. Well, we, because we're still breaking down the roster, but as always, if we've got other stuff to talk about, we got other stuff to talk about. So it is what it is, but I appreciate you guys saying every week, but I'm going to say it every week because it's what I do. I appreciate everybody who's listening. I appreciate everybody who's routinely listening, our regular listeners. Um, you know, I just, I just appreciate the fact that you guys are making this engine go. You're the fuel to our fire. And I appreciate you guys always tuning in. Um, hit us up on Twitter. You know, we, every week we still have guys hitting us up on Twitter who listen to the episode. And I appreciate that. Whether, and if you've already done it, keep doing it. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you can find me at Rob underscore Louder, L-O-W-D-E-R. You can find Croc at Eric underscore Crocker. And like I said, hit us up. But that's it for us for this week. Appreciate you guys. Stay safe. Stay, keep your mask on, do all that fun stuff. Um, but above all, stay safe. And uh, for another week, this is Striking Gold signing out. Peace.